Slick Talk. I'm your host, Blackstone Joe. Thank you for joining me on episode 54. We're now less than a week away from Christmas, so I hope it's been a good holiday season for you so far. For me personally, the the food aspect of holiday season is particularly important. And if we go back to Thanksgiving, my mother-in-law asked me if I could make a turkey. And I accepted, not just because I was confident in how it would turn out, but it's an item that you stake your reputation on, you know? Like, if you say you're good in the kitchen, then there's a, I feel like, a a list of things you should be able to accomplish and and do them well. And a a turkey is one of those things. And, you know, it was important for me to get it right as well, because growing up, I ate a lot of sad turkey, I'll be honest. My family didn't know what they were doing with turkey, and I wanted to rectify that for myself. And I did. And yeah, as a bonus, at the end of the episode, if you want to know how I prepare a turkey, whatever, stay tuned, I'll tell you. Unfortunately, there are some ups and downs that occur even during the holiday season. I'm sure you can relate. I was leaving, well, maybe you can't relate to this exact story, but you can relate to ups and downs. Let's just say that. I was leaving my house yesterday. I was on my way to Blackstone, and my neighbor was underneath their car. So I had to figure out why. And after I talked to them, I found out that their catalytic converter had been stolen in the middle of the night. This is not totally uncommon. In fact, like uh, in the Fort Wayne area, if you check local news and stories involving the keyword catalytic converter, it's just become a thing that people steal. And I'm sure it's, you know, in other parts of the country too, but don't do that. Gosh, I don't know who found out that you could, you know, steal them and then sell them for a good price illegally, but awful thing to do. But also, I guess if you're at the point in your life where you're stealing catalytic converters, there's probably a lot of other terrible things you do. So it might not be the the only issue that you're struggling with, but yeah, don't, don't do that. Hopefully insurance is able to help them out. My neighbor, that is. I say hopefully because I've had to tussle with insurance over vehicle-related things. Cough, bullet hole, my blazer, cough. And it's never fun. Uh, it's a process. But be a good person. Don't steal someone's catalytic converter, especially a few days away from Christmas. The world will be a better place. So it's fitting that I titled this episode Where to Begin, because recently I was browsing... Browsing the internet for Pontiac Sunfires that are on the on the market. I laugh because I know, I know, a Pontiac Sunfire is not, you know, it's not a bullet Mustang. It's not an Aston Martin DB5. It's not something that people would look at and be like, now that's iconic. But it's iconic for me, okay? It's it's part of my character development was having that be my first car. And I miss it to the degree that I kind of want another one, but only if it has a manual transmission. I just have a lot more fun driving a manual. And plus, I feel like I can get I can get a Sunfire for a good price. And when I say good, like I'm not going to spend more than a thousand on this. So if you if you have a deal for me, that's that's my price. I'm not going north of a thousand, no matter how much the nostalgia gets to me. But when I look back to the a day in which I I shipped the Sunfire off, put it out to pasture, well, specifically, I sold it to a dealership so I could get better value on the next car I was getting. But I got rid of it not because the engine was bad. Uh, the engine was perfectly fine. 
And it kind of got me to thinking, as far as Slick Talk listeners go, what is the number one thing that would cause you to want to get rid of a car? Is it the engine? Is it damage to the interior? Is it uh, maybe something recall related where you're beyond warranty and you have to address something that's seriously wrong? I'm curious what it is. So I'm actually going to take a survey. We're going to talk about this on another episode. So if you're listening on YouTube, I'll include a link to the survey there. I'll also include one in our Instagram and on our Facebook post when this episode comes out. I want to know what the key factor is if you had to choose one that would cause you to either keep or get rid of a vehicle what it is so i'm gonna have a link where you can submit your answer and i'm just kind of interested to see what comes up you know we test a lot of samples from folks where they want to know if they should keep or get rid of the car just based on the engine sometimes they'll factor in the transmission too not always though we do have instances where they will sample each and everything coolant, fuel, engine, transmission, whatever it is, you know, we, we test it all. So people will use our services to find out they should get rid of or keep something. So I'm interested to find out what that is. More on that later once I get your answers. But whether you're sampling to make a decision, whether you are sampling just to find out how your vehicle is doing or you want to look for a particular issue, I'm often asked, where do I begin as far as what test should I start with? People generally don't know, and that's totally fair because we do a lot of different testing. And if you're new to this, then you might not know what to ask for. You also might, you know, even if you aren't new to this, and you might not know if there are additional tests that you might be interested in beyond what you're getting already. So I'm going to walk you through where to begin, you know, the the tests that we run in our standard analysis, as well as what you can add on to that. So if you send in a sample with our kit and you don't ask for anything, you just fill out your information, you tell us the engine or the transmission you're sampling, and then you give us the oil type, the sample date, the mileage, and that's it. You don't request anything. What we're going to do is we're going to run the standard analysis. Now that's comprised of a spectral exam, which is going to tell you about wear metals, presence of coolant, uh, excess dirt, oil additives. And then we're going to do physical testing, which includes a viscosity measurement, you know, the thickness of the oil that you're sampling, a flashpoint test to evaluate fuel. We're also going to be able to detect, you know, actual moisture during that test process. And lastly, we'll go over insolubles, which is the amount of solid material present. So that's the standard. If you don't ask for anything, we're going to do that to start with. Now, let's say you don't have enough oil to fill up the bottle. So we send along a, a, with our kit, you have a bottle that you want to fill up um, as much as you can. You You don't have to have it to the brim, but close. And we're going to use that sample size for every test we do, whatever thing you're testing. If it's fuel, if it's coolant, if it's oil, we want that same amount for the test process. So let's say that you send in a sample bottle that's not completely full. Well, if you have it, say, like halfway full, we're probably going to have to skip the flashpoint, which tells us about fuel and actual moisture. But odds are good we'll be able to do a spectral analysis so we can tell you at least how wear looks. We can 
look for contaminants like coolant or excess dirt. Now you might wonder how we can detect coolant if we can't look for water in the flashpoint test. Well, coolant leaves chemical footprints behind. You know, potassium and sodium are going to show up in the spectral analysis even if the actual moisture is gone. So we can still look for coolant without flashpoint test. We can also probably get you the insolubles and viscosity in a bottle that's, eh, you know, about halfway full. But if you're in a situation where you're only getting, you know, drips, or maybe you're able to just cover the bottom of the bottle, odds are slim that we can do much. You know, the smaller the amount, the more you're looking at probably us just being able to run a spectral analysis. And that might be all you want in a certain situation. So I would say that if you're not able to fill up the bottle entirely, it would behoove you to say what's most important to you. So let's say you're only able to fill up, you know, some of the bottle and your main concern is fuel. Say you have an engine that you're really concerned about having a fuel system issue. Then you would want to, on the slip, say first priority fuel. If you're able to test for other stuff, go ahead. And that would be a good idea because that way we know uh, what's at the top of your list and we can focus on accomplishing that with the oil that you have. So yeah, instances where you can't give us a full sample size, it's particularly important to say exactly what you need. Otherwise, if you just want the standard analysis and you have a full bottle, you don't have to say standard analysis on the slip. Like I said, we're going to just do that automatically. So you don't have to request it, but you do want to request other tests beyond the standard. And those are mainly going to be a TBN or a TAN. So I'm going to talk about what those are real quick. A TBN is the total base number. It's going to tell you how much active additive is left. Now, a quick note here, TBN or TAN, you'll request them on the backside of the oil slip. So please check the yes box on the back of the slip so that way we can then know you want it. But also you can write it in the remarks. You can say, I want TBN and, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to go off of either one that you do. But please don't forget to flip that slip over, check yes. And you can also feel free to make an added note as well. But some mention on the physical slip that you send in, that's what we're looking for. But back to the TBN, when you're talking about how much active additive is left, this is only relative to engine oil. So we won't run one on a transmission. Now, if you happen to send in a transmission sample with an engine kit, meaning you know, the slip says gas or diesel at the top, just request TAN by writing it on the slip. We have a couple portions of the slip for notes. Just write, hey, I want a TAN. This is a transmission. A TAN is going to measure the total acid number, so how acidic the oil has become. This is mainly relative to gear lube, ATF, oil being used in industrial applications. Not really relative to an engine. Now, that's not because engine oil doesn't become acidic, but it's more important, I think, to look at the active additive left. Because if you have a strong TBN, then acidity isn't as relevant. So if I have active additive left, then sure, I could measure the TAM and find out what it reads, but it's not as important as finding out how much active additive is remaining to combat those acids from accumulating in the oil and causing issues. So if you want TBN or you want TAN in addition to the standard analysis, then just make note by either checking that box on the slip or writing it in the remarks.
So that wraps it up in terms of the tests that you might need starting out. And also what you'll probably need, period. If you're trying to take care of an engine, there's not really any additional testing that is going to help you manage that maintenance. You know, we do provide specialized testing. You know, if you need to find out how much water is present in parts per million, there's a Carl Fisher test. If you need to know the viscosity at 40 degrees instead of 100 degrees, like we do those tests as well, but they're not really applicable to, you know, someone trying to take care of their daily driver, you know, knowing what the viscosity is at 40 degrees Celsius probably isn't doing much for you. So if you're trying to take care of your motor, the transmission, the differential, the realm of the standard analysis and the TBN and TAN, that's really all you need. And usually it's the standard, but if you want to, you know, go longer between oil changes, then a TBN is helpful. If you want to know how acidic the transmission oil has become after a certain amount of mileage, then a TAN is for you. But as far as where to begin, a standard analysis is going to be applicable for any time you have a sample bottle that's about full. And if you don't have quite that much, then let us know what's most important to you and we'll do the tests that we're able to and we'll go from there. So if you have no idea where to begin, the standard analysis is where you want to start, but always feel free to list particular concerns that you might have. Before I let you go, just a reminder, we're going to have that survey link either on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you can respond to it. I think it would be interesting to know, you know, where you rank the condition of the engine transmission, because some people would be very confident in their ability to repair an engine to, you know, make the make the repairs they would need to keep it on the road. So maybe an engine isn't their first concern. Maybe it would be something else like the interior or cosmetic related things. It'd be interesting to know uh, what your thoughts are on that. So uh, feel free to respond to that survey link when you have time and we'll compile the answers and talk about them on upcoming episodes. Uh, so earlier in the episode, I mentioned that I'd tell you how I prepare a turkey. If you're one of those people that is going to make turkey for Christmas and you're not quite sure what you're going to do with it, this recipe would be a good place to start. So I believe the secret to making a good turkey starts with what you do the day before. So after thawing the turkey out, first thing I do is I start to loosen up the skin and then I take about a quarter cup of kosher salt, not table salt, kosher salt. Mix that with a tablespoon of black pepper, maybe a little more if you like it. I like a lot of pepper, but not everyone does. Take that mixture and rub it all underneath the skin, inside of the turkey, outside of the turkey, get a nice even coating. And then I like to add a little bit of baking powder. This lowers the temperature at which the Maillard reaction occurs, so that would be the browning of the skin. So that way you get a good crispy skin without drying the turkey out and turning it into that chalky nightmare that most people experience. Or at least I did the first, you know, dozen turkeys I had in my life. Secondly, if you are cooking stuffing in the turkey, I would highly recommend placing it in a cheesecloth and tying it off because that way you can remove the stuffing when it's done. The stuffing will be finished well before the turkey is. So oftentimes if you cook turkey and you have stuffing in there the entire time, uh, the stuffing is going to be weird and dry because it's been there far longer than it needs to be. So I recommend using a cheesecloth. That's how I do the stuffing and that way I can remove it and finish my stuffing while the turkey is doing its thing. So after the turkey is ready, you know, you've done your salt, pepper, baking powder routine the night before, 
Then it's time to pop that baby in the oven. So preheat it to 325. This is only for the first part of the cook. Now, when you put the turkey in the ovens, I like to start it breast side down. And I put a package of bacon on top. And, you know, when that bacon's done, there's your breakfast. Anyway, once the turkey reaches 130 degrees Fahrenheit, then I flip it over and remove that bacon, put it off to the side, do whatever you want with it. But here's the thing. The last thing I do that I think really makes the difference is brushing the turkey down with clarified butter. Not just butter, but clarified butter. If you're unfamiliar, that is butter with the milk solids removed. So milk solids burn and they can cause issues. So what you want to do is brush it down with clarified butter because that won't burn in the punishing temperatures of the oven. So once you flip the turkey over, you brush it down, you want to increase the temperature of the oven uh, to 400 degrees. And that is going to be the temperature that the turkey will finish cooking at. A note though, when you brush it down with clarified butter, don't do a ton, don't go overboard. Just do enough that you cover the turkey because otherwise what you're gonna run into is, you know, that so much butter collecting underneath the turkey and it gets hot and then all of a sudden, while it's popping all over the place, it can burn the skin. So you don't want to overkill it on the clarified butter or any butter if you don't want to use clarified. You just want to get a nice even coating. Finally, when you take that turkey out of the oven, do not put foil over the top of it. I repeat, don't. You'll ruin the crispy skin that you've worked so long to achieve. So don't put foil over it. Just let it rest until you're ready to carve, and then it's going to be perfect. Um, I know this is a podcast about motor oil and analysis, but I like to also include fun facts, tips and tricks, whatever I'm into lately, things that I am passionate about beyond um, oil analysis. Just let you know that Blackstone Joe is a real person. So thank you for indulging me in these little diversions. And who knows, if you like this recipe, if you try it, um, I I do kind of rest on some fundamentals that a lot of people... um, take part in but maybe not maybe this recipe is different than what your mom told you to do or what you grew up with in some small way shape or form anyway if you give it a try or if you're utterly offended by the instructions and you have your own recipe it'd be fun to talk about the food side of slick talk sometimes so thank you for indulging me this is blackstone joe peace (laughs) 